السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن ولا قال رب الشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل الأكتة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم زدنا علما Well praise and thanks is due to Allah Azza wa Jal Peace and salutations upon Muhammad ibn Abdullah Salawatullahi wa salamuhu alayhi Peace and salutations upon his family, upon his friends And upon all those who try to emulate him until the end of time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala At the start of the ninth verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he starts and he says أَمْ حَسِبَتَ أَنَّ أَصْحَابَ الْكَهْفِ وَالرَّقِيمِ كَانُوا مِنْ آيَاتِنَا عَجَبًا And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he starts and he poses a question Do you think that the people of the cave and the inscription were more wondrous than our signs or our other signs? And here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like I mentioned, he starts off with a question. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this appears in the form of a question, but what is meant is a negative statement and instruction not to think that the story of the people of the cave and what happened to them was something strange or something unique amongst the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or that it was a brilliant sign of his wisdom that was unique and unparalleled so as we will see when we explain this verse a bit further what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is actually intending but rather Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent Many signs for us. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for example, He mentions, أَفَلَا يَنْظُرُونَ إِلَى الْإِبِلِ كَيْفَ خُلِقَتْ That, yani, have a look. See. Take note of how the camel, the she-camel, was created. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ فِي خَلْكِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ That indeed in the heavens and the earth, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in various places in the Quran He speaks about His creation So Allah is posing a question and He's asking us that Do you think that the story of the youth of the cave As we will see a bit later Do you think that this is something special? But have a look at our signs as well Far greater than the human being Look at the birds in the sky Different types of birds. Look at the creatures in the sea. Some of them are small. Some are a bit bigger. Some humongous. So who created all of them? Who feeds all of this creation? Whether it's the lion. Whether it's the whale. Whether it's the ant crawling. Who is in control that they eat every day? That they build their homes? It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So yes, as we will see, that this is a special story about the selected youth. 
And yes, they spend maybe years in the cave. Come out and we'll see that their money was old. Right? But this is only one amazing thing. A much bigger thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can do. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is still showing his slaves signs in the universe and in their own selves. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَفِي أَنفُسِكُمْ أَفَلَا تُبَصِرُونَ That have a look, right? Have a look at yourself. And here obviously, the doctors, people in the medical field, they can speak about this. Right? I'm sure when they studied the human body, the human anatomy, what did they find? I'm sure they found amazing things. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Dhariyat that look into yourselves and you will see. Right? The human body itself is an amazing thing. Right? Look what the heart does, look what the brain does. Every organ in the body, every part of the body, it adds a particular function. And one thing might work today and it might not work tomorrow. And this is a system of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also, He shows us through, right, to look into ourselves, through which the truth becomes distinct and to which the truth from falsehood and guidance from misguidance. And this statement does not mean that the story of the people of the cave was not a wonder as I mentioned. Right? The story of the people of the cave, yes, it is a wonder. But it's not the only wonder. And it is indeed a wondrous sign. And it is a sign from Allah Azza wa Jal. But rather what is meant here is that there are many such wonders. Therefore, limiting our amazement and our wonder to the story only, to the exclusion of others, is a sign of lack of knowledge. And this is something important. That sometimes people, they only focus on one part of knowledge. And they forget other parts. Right? And this you find it happens among students of knowledge as well. Among certain du'at. That their focus is just on one thing all the time. But it lacks something else. And the sciences of Islam is such a science or different sciences that they all interlink. They all intertwine. And one of the beauties of tafsir is exactly that. Right? Yes, you speak about tafsir, but then white might come in there. Maybe there's a narration that we look at, but the narration might be weak. So now what needs to come in? The science of hadith. Then maybe a verse speaks about tawheed, waqidah. Maybe something speaks about 
where you need to look at usulu fiqda, or how the ulama derive certain rulings. So tafsir is that subject, yani, that focuses on the Quran, but also it branches off into different sciences. And you will see, you will pick up as we teach, as we go along. What do you pick up as well? Pick up different sciences as well. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. But rather the believer, he should think of all the signs of Allah Azza wa Jal that Allah calls people to reflect upon. For that is the key to faith and the way to attain knowledge and certainty. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He describes them as people of the cave and the inscription. So here we find that there was a pl- basically something written on which their names and their story was written about them and because they stayed in the cave for a long time. So we find that there was an inscription and it was written, for example, who they were and what was the story of these youth. And then we find the word Ar-Raqim. And this word Ar-Raqim that is seen in this verse, there's various meanings and interpretations to this word. Some of them are very far-fetched. And others are quite close in meaning to one another. For example, Ar-Raqim, some say it's the name of the dog. So some tafasir, they will say that it is the name of the dog. Some tafasir will say it is a city in where? In Rome. Others will say it is a mountain in which there is a cave. They say that it is the name of a valley in which there is a Cave as well. Ibn Abbas radiallahu an. Ibn Abbas says that I do not know whether Ar-Raqim is written or a place. So what does he mean? Remember at the start I said that there was an inscription. right? There was something written. The names were written and the history. So Ibn Abbas says that I do not know Right? Whether it is written or whether it is a place. Maybe somewhere in the mountain. Maybe a name of a valley in which there is a cave. Or maybe a city in Rome. Allah A'lam. Sheikh Shinkiti rahimallahu ta'ala in Adwa'ul Bayan. And I mentioned this book last week as well. This is one of the books that we use that I am using for the tafsir. So the main source that I refer to is Tafsir Ibn Kathir and then Adwa'ul Bayan of Sheikh Shinkiti as well as the Tafsir of Surah Kaf by Sheikh Muhammad Salih Al-Uthaymin Rahimallahu Ta'ala as well as Tafsir Al-Sa'adi Tafsir Al-Sa'adi and Sheikh Sa'adi was the teacher of Sheikh Uthaymin Rahimallahu Ta'ala So Shashinkiti mentions the inscription, yani Ar-Raqim, was a tablet or a plague, plug, so afwan, 
on which were written the names and the lineage of the people of the cave. And this was the view of Sheikh Uthaymin as well. This is one of the views that Ibn Kathir brings in his tafsir as well. So it was yani, a tablet. What was written on there? Their names were written on. Now obviously when we speak about the tablet here, we're not speaking about the tablet that we use in today's time. Right? We're speaking about the tablet that yani, is maybe written, inscribed on the wall, etc. And Sheshankiti also brings a very important point and a beautiful nukta. He says, or he also says that it was the Sharia that they followed. So this Raqim could, could have been the Sharia that they were following as well. And he says it could have been a golden tablet as well. This is Sheshankiti. And the next point I would like to bring something that we find especially in or no sorry that's the point after that. So some people they claim that the companions of the cave is one group and Ar-Raqim is a different group. So they say in Ashabul Kaf or this youth they were one group of people, one set. Then we find that Ar-Raqim is a different group. And Shishinkiti says that this is incorrect. So in his tafsir, he brings a long explanation of grammar. <laughs> Why it's incorrect to say that Ar-Raqim is another group. And obviously that, I mean, to go into the grammar, when, if we don't understand the language itself, which is going to be tedious and a bit of a, Waste of time, yani, for us. The next point. The Sheikh also says that one will find various tablets, etc., inscriptions, with the names of the Ashabul Kaf in various countries. Right, so you find people, they go on various tours. Of that, or what comes to mind is, especially in Jordan. So they go to Jordan, for example, and they will say that there's a certain place, there's a cave, and... Here's the Ashabul Kaf. Their names are there. So see what the Sheikh says. He says that none of this is established in the Sunnah of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Meaning that had it been established, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would have mentioned it. And then we would have known, Alhamdulillah, that there was a block with all the names and who the Ashabul Kaf was. And this is extremely important that sometimes we find that people, they use this to gain money or to promote certain of the ideologies, certain of the views. And another important point that I would like to mention under this is that of the graves of Ambiya as well. So you go to various countries, then they will tell you that the grave or the maqam of this Nabi is here, and the maqam of that Nabi is there. <coughs> Shaykhul Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentions in one of his books, that there is nothing established, meaning we don't know of any grave of any Nabi, that we can be a hundred percent sure 
it is his grave except the grave of who? Of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And why is that? Because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's grave is well known. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam himself, he mentioned, right, when he spoke about the Rauda, what did he say? He said that piece of land between the Mihrab, Baina Mimbariwa, Baiti. Right? And where do we know where is the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa buried? In his home. Then we know of other hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa where he says that a Prophet or a Nabi is buried where? The place where they Nine. pass away. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa was passed away where? In the house of Aisha radiallahu anha. And where was this? Well known in city of Medina. So like I mentioned, as for the other Ambiya, we are not exactly 100% sure if it is their grave or not. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions and he says, إِذْ أَوَلْ فِتْيَةُ إِلَى الْكَهْفِ فَقَالُوا رَبَّنَا آتِنَا مِنْ لَدُنْكَ رَحْمَةً وَهَيِّئْ لَنَا مِنْ أَمْرِنَا رَشَدًا That remember, when the young men, when they fled for refuge from their disbelieving folk, meaning they left, why did they flee? They fled because there was a people calling them to worship and to other than Allahu Azza wa Jal. And the next few verses is going to speak about worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I would like to pose a question. What is the definition of ibadah? What is the definition of Worship. Bismillah. Now. Speak, speak. To recognize Allah. Okay, time. Now, you said something? Tawheed. Tawheed, okay. <coughs> now. <coughs> to recognize and to praise Allah. Praise Allah. To suppose gratitude and shukran. Type. Anyone else? To be in the servitude of the Almighty. Type. Right, so. There's different definitions, right? So, different ulama, they have different definitions of ibadah. And in any field that we study, right, when you look at definitions, there's two components that one needs to look at with regards to a definition. That it must include everything, correct? So it must be jami'ah. And it must also, like, include, of what? It must exclude other things, correct? And we need to cover all tracks with that definition. So ibadah can be explained or can be looked at 
And a good definition is that of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah's definition. That he says, Ibada wa ma yuhibbu Allahu wa yarda. It is that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which he loves and he is happy with. But he carries on them. And he says that it is that which Allah loves and that which Allah is happy with from your qawl, from your speech. Right? So what comes, for example, under speech? Uttering the kalima, the shahada. Ashadu an la ilaha illallah, ashadu anna Muhammad rasulullah. And with all the conditions that comes with that. Wal amal. And your actions. Like salah, zakah, going on hajj, Ramadan. And then he says after actions, that actions which are inward and that actions which are outward. So for example, your inner actions, khawf, fear, mahabba, love, right? Raja, hope. So all this are actions basically that one can see. Correct? Your tawakkul. I can see that someone has tawakkul. This is between, uh, between him and Allah Azza wa So this is inward actions. But your outward actions, like we mentioned, the salah, your zakah, going on hajj, etc. Tilawah of Quran. So this is his definition of ibadah. And this makes complete sense. So it is to do an action which is beloved to Allah Azza wa Jal and Allah becomes happy with it. Whether the action is inward or whether the action is something that is outward people can see and Allah knows best. So these youngsters, they say and they make dua, Rabbana atina, they say, O oh, our Lord, bestow milladunka rahma, bestow on us mercy from yourselves, or from yourself, afwan, lana min amrina rashada. And make for us, facilitate for us, our affair in the right and correct way. So here we find that the verse previous to this started with the story, and some of the ulama say that this is actually where the story begins. Because now it's starting, because now we know who's in the cave. Right, Alhamdulillah, we have previous knowledge and that's why we know that it was a group of youth. But verse number 9 never said that it was youth. But here it mentions specifically that they entered the cave with the aim of seeking protection for themselves and keeping away from the persecution of their own people. So, Right? The first thing I would like to look at is that sometimes we think and we find it hard to believe that our own people could actually harm us. Our own community could actually stand and speak against us. But if you study history and you study the seerah of Rasul, right? Let's look at the seerah. Of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And we look at the famous story. When Allah azza wa jal commands Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now you need to go out with your da'wah. Remember the da'wah at the time was secret. 
when Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu embraced Islam and others, the da'wah was in secret. But now you need to go out. Go invite your family. Invite the Quraysh. So where does he go? He goes to a hilltop, right? To a mountaintop. And what does he say? He says, and he asks him a question. If I were to tell you, and obviously I'm just paraphrasing here, if I were to tell you that behind this mountain there's an enemy, there's an army, they're coming and they're going to fight you, what would you say? What was the answer? Yes. That we believe you. Right? And what did they say after that? They said that you are Sadiqul Ami. You are the most truthful. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So he says, okay, fine. But now, I call you to worship Allah Azza wa Jal. And what happens after that? They what? Reject him. And what does Abu Lahab do? He says that may you die perish, right? Or may you perish. Did you call me to waste my time for this? And what does Allah reply to him? Tabbat yada Abu Lahab yuwa tab. And may Abu Lahab be perished at his own hands because of what he did to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So why am I saying this? This was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Khatamun nabiyin. Rahmatun lil alameen. The seal of all prophets. The mercy unto mankind. Ghufira lahu ma taqaddama min dhambi wa ma taakhar. That had he had any sins, that would have also been forgiven. That he was sinless, like all the Anbiya. The best of creation. But his own people turned again. Not only turned against him, they drove him out of Makkah. What did the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa say? When he was leaving Makkah. That you are so beloved to me, I did not been for my people, that had driven me out of here, I would have never left. So never think, that we are safe. Never think that no one's going to stand up against you. It's happened to us. Before we went to go study, right? You were one, you were fine, man. You were okay. But you went to go study in Medina. You went to go study in Saudi Arabia. So what happens when you come back? Automatically you ostracized. Automatically you shun one side. Because now you belong to a particular group. Now you follow a particular way. But you're that same person that left in the sense of that your face never changed. Right? Okay, obviously you gain knowledge. But you're still that same person that if you were a friendly person when you left, you're still a friendly person when you came back. If you were a sour-natured person before you left, that's still going to be you when you come back. Obviously with knowledge. But the point that I'm trying to make, and this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying here, or they're saying that we had to leave because our people try to persecute us. And then they said, Oh our Lord, bestow on us mercy from yourself and facilitate for us our fear in the right way. So this is to make us steadfast. And this is a dua that we should all be making. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He used to always make the dua, Oh Allah, keep my heart firm. 
Right? Oh Allah, keep my heart firm upon this deen. And this was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And we should be making dua that Allah protect us from all evil and help us to do good and guide us through our ordeal. That is, make it easy for us that which is best for us. Sometimes, right, with dua, we make dua, we think that, you know, I want a particular thing. Right? I'm going to use a common example. Everyone likes uses the example. Take the example of marriage. Right? So, alhamdulillah, the brother, he goes to university or wherever he goes and he meets someone that he's interested in. And his heart is just, subhanallah, he's just, you know, on this girl, on this female. So, what does he do? Ah, he makes istikhara, everything. Ah, it's positive, you know. And, right? But nothing materialized. So, he never got married. And three years down the line, two years down the line, he married someone else and alhamdulillah, he's still married or she's still married to him. So, what does this teach us? That you might think something is good for you, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows ultimately what is the best for you. And sometimes we think, but why didn't this thing happen? Why is it not happening now? But as time goes past, a year, two years, a few months down the line, you actually realize that this Allah actually removed something. There was going to be a bigger obstacle had I fallen into that. But Allah knew. I did not know at that time. But Allah's infinite knowledge, His infinite wisdom took me out of that and placed me in something else. لا تزيرو وزيرتون وزرا أخرى That Allah will never put something on you. He will never burden a soul with that which he cannot carry that burden. Remember this. Right? So always make dua and ask for guidance. Shaykh bin Baz rahimahullah ta'ala he was asked once that you know Shaykh you find people that they were firm on deen and all of a sudden right, they took another path. Why is this? And he says one of the reasons, he says Allah knows best, but one of the reasons is that they do not ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for istiqama. They do not ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for steadfastness. And this should always be our dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Shaykh Uthaymin rahimahullahu ta'ala, right, he mentions with regards to rahmah. With regards to mercy, and he brings, he cites a hadith, and in this hadith we find that there is a dua. Anna Aba Bakr Siddiq radiyallahu anhu qala, qala nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right? He says that Abu Bakr as Siddiq radiyallahu anhu, he says that he asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, teach me a dua. Teach me a dua with which I may invoke Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in my prayers. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, Say, Allahumma inni dhalamtu nafsi dhulman kathira. He says, say, O oh Allah, I have wronged my soul a lot. Meaning I have oppressed myself. 
What do you think this means? To oppress yourself? Doesn't it sound a bit weird? How does one oppress himself? Now. To follow your desires. Taib, to follow your desires and what else? To do wrong. Correct? To involve yourself in sin, in wrongdoings. This is oppression of your self. So he says, Allahumma inni zalamtu nafsi dhulman kathira. وَلَا يَوْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ إِلَّا أَنْتَ And none forgives the sins but you. So here again, what is this dua teaching us? Tawheed. It's teaching us Tawheed. Tawheed al-Uluhiyah. That Allah is the Ilah. None has the right to be worshipped except Allah. And none can forgive us except Allah. Not a Malik Muqarrab, not an angel that is close to Allah, or not a Nabi Mursal, not a Prophet that was sent, or not a Wali, not a saint, not a dead person, not a grave. Right? You cannot go to the grave and ask him, Oh, yeah, Wali, grant me Shifa. Oh, Wali, Ighfirli, grant forgiveness. No. This is for Allah and for Allah alone. And then he says, فَغْفِرْ مِنْ عِنْدِكْ مَغْفِرَةً And forgive me, bestow your forgiveness upon me. إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْغَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ That indeed, you, O oh Allah, you are the off-forgiving, the most merciful. So inshallah what I'll do, I'll maybe put this slide in the group, for everyone's in the group, and you can Memorize the dua. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, فَضَرَبْنَا عَلَىٰ آذَانِهِمْ فِي الْكَهْفِ سِنِينَ عَدَادًا فَضَرَبْنَا And therefore we covered up the sense of hearing, meaning causing them to go into a deep sleep in the cave for a number of years. So here we see that and this the next paragraph is by Shaykh Sa'di Rahimallahu Ta'ala. He says that three hundred and nine years by means of the sleep mentioned, their hearts were protected from confusion and fear. And they were also protected from the people so that they might become a clear sign. So if we look at this paragraph, we see that why did Allah cause them to sleep? Why did Allah cause them to have this deep sleep? In order to protect them from confusion. So here again is an important lesson for us. No doubt it is important that we always integrate into society. That we work with the people around us. But sometimes there's so much confusion that takes place, it is better for you to do what? To take a step back. It is better for you to stay at home. Right? So what comes up here? What comes to mind sometimes, right, you know, you see, right, in Cape Town we have this, you know, what they call big nights. 
And obviously this wasn't practiced by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So these are all innovations. And what happens? So someone will say, yeah, but you know, it's just it's something good, man. He's going to speak something good. But what actually happens when you go to the masjid, sometimes you come back more confused. Because now you're hearing some fairy tales, you're hearing some things that are contrary to the Quran, contrary to the Sunnah, and it just confuses you much more. And I'm going to give you an example. What month are we in now, Islamically? We're in Shabbat. Right? And of what? Okay, type. And on the 15th of Sha'aban, <laughs> right? We know in Cape Town and in a lot of places in the world is what? Is known as? Laylatul Bara. Laylatul Bara on And what do we find? That there are a lot of weak and a lot of fabricated ahadith with regards to this night. So someone goes to masjid innocently. Ah, you know the sheikh is giving a talk, mashallah, we sit. But he comes out hearing, other, hearing hadith, but that are not authentic. So what happens now? He starts doing certain actions. And then someone else comes to him and he says, but you know what? It's not found in the Quran, it's not found in the Sunnah, this, that. So what does it cause? It causes, no, I was actually looking for confusion. Right? Had he stayed at home, what would have been better for him? <laughs> right? To go or to stay at home? Had he stayed at home, he would have been less confused and Allah knows best. And also they had this type of fear with the people. Meaning what? That, obviously, in this community, majority believed in other than Allah, as we will see a bit later. So they were a handful of youth. So usually what happens when you have a handful of youth believing in something or a small group of people against the majority? The majority starts to put fear in the hearts of the lesser group. That's the reality. Every place, every society, you'll find this. Right? Someone is on haq, someone is on truth, but they get bullied by the masses. Allah knows best. And Allah protected them as well. Put them one side, let them sleep, a deep sleep. Allah protected them from a calamity. Sheikh Uthaymin, rahimallah, he says that sleep is of two types. Number one, a light sleep. Right? What they say sometimes in English, to catch fish. That, you know, he's just sitting here and when we used to learn hiv, right? That was very common. So he sit and he be reciting and then you just see, you know, the eyes just goes. But he's aware of what's happening. And Sheikh says that you can still hear sometimes, right, what's going on around you. But you just, you know, light sleep. So if I catch anyone here in the light sleep, I'll make you stand. Okay? <laughs> and then we have a deep sleep. And this is what they had. Meaning, were you not aware of what's happening around you? And Allah knows best. Allah says, Thumma ba'ath, right? لِنَعْلَمَ أَيُّهَا الْحِزْبَيْنِ أَحْصَى لِمَا لَبِثُوا أَمَدًا Right, so the amount of years we're going to discuss around verse 22, 25. 
right? Around there, then we can dis- discuss the amount of years in detail because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the luna and the solar, etc. So we'll discuss that in, when we come there. So we raise them from, or we raise them up from the sleep that we might test which of the two parties was best at calculating the time period that they had tarried. So the word that I would like to look at here is Ba'athnahum. And this word here means that he woke them or we woke them up from their sleep. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions and he says that it is he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who takes your soul by the night when you are asleep and has knowledge of all that you have done by the day. So when we sleep at night, this is known as a minor death. And how many people went to go sleep at night, but they never woke up again? And what is the dua when you wake up? Alhamdulillah, illadi ahyana. Naam, right? All praise and thanks is due to Allah. Alhamdulillah, illadi ahyana, who has given me life. And then? Ba'da? After I have died. Right? And this also shows us that we as human beings, we are but weak men. Right? We are just weak. That if it is not for Allah Azza wa Jal, right, to give us life. And how many of us, when we go sleep at night, then we just think, ah, you know, I've got this to do tomorrow. I'm going to do that tomorrow. This is going to happen. Leave alone tomorrow. How many of us plan something for a few, few weeks' time? Months, years even. Right? But we don't realize we don't that realize could... No. I mean, subhanallah. Right? Look what's happening around us. I mean, just in this room itself, I can see that, or I know, right about two or three of us that had COVID. Correct? And, I mean, last year, January came, who would have thought? We were going to see this thing. Correct? And then also, as time maybe went on, you thought, ah, no, man. It's a bit far-fetched. It's not going to come to me, man. I'm not going to get sick. You know, it's okay. I'm wearing my mask. I'm wearing gloves. I wash my hands every time. You know, I take precaution. But what happened? <laughs> right? You know who we're talking about, right? And we got sick. All of us lost someone. Loved ones. So, but yet we still live our life thinking that I'm that guy, man. I'm superwoman. I'm superman. That I'm going to live till I'm 60. I'm going to live till I'm 70. Right, last week, in Kaif Juma, and I spoke on returning back to Allah Azza wa Jal with Tawbah. And one of the things that was mentioned in there, that when I was preparing the talk, is that, especially young people, right? And Hamla, no one's older. So especially young people, what do we say? I'm going to seek forgiveness when I'm at such and such an age. 
or I'm going to turn back to Allah after I get married. Some never ever saw marriage. Correct? Some never ever reached that age. So turn back to Allah Azza wa Jal immediately. So he says that it is he who takes your souls by the night when you are asleep and has knowledge of all that you have done by the day. Then he raises, yani he wakes you up again that a term appointed meaning your life period be fulfilled. Then in the end unto him will be your return. This is the reality. Every soul shall taste death. Then he will inform you what you used to do. Suratul An'am, verse number 16. Right on the day of Qiyamah, you can hide here on this dunya. Ah, maybe, you know, they don't know what I did there, they don't know what I did here, I went there, I did this. But on the day of Qiyamah, what's going to happen? Allah Azza wa Jal is going to unpack. Everything's going to be brought forward. So learning how long this youth stayed there and reaching their right figure, will lead one to acknowledge the perfect might and wisdom and mercy of Allah. For if they had remained asleep, their story would not have been known to anyone. Think of it. Had they, Allah just caused them to sleep and they never woke up. No one would have known what happened as we will see with the weeks to come be idhnillahi ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, نَحْنُ نَقُسُّ عَلَيْكَ نَبَأَهُمْ بالحق إنهم فتية آمنوا بربهم وزدناهم هدى. So we narrate unto you, O Muhammad, the story with truth. For indeed, they were young men who believed in Allah Azza wa Jal, and we increased them in guidance. So here the details of the story are getting more clearer and clearer. Allah recounts the story. To his Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in truth, and there can be no doubt or confusion concerning this. Wa man astaqu min Allahi qila, and who is more truthful than in speech than Allah? Wa man astaqu min Allahi haditha. This Allah subhanahu you never going to find a story that is more truthful than that which comes in the book of Allah. Or that which comes from the lips of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So there's no doubt. And they were young men who believed in Allah. And here it says, young men fityatu, which means there was more than one. It was a group. And also, what we learn from here, what we can see is that sometimes, when you are in your youth, Right? Doing something in your youth for the sake of Allah Azza wa Jal can take you very far in life. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he mentions in the hadith and he says that on the day of Qiyamah there's going to be seven groups that will be under the shade. Under the shade of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala's arsh when you will find no shade. And one of them is who? A shabun, a youngster, a youth, that they spent their youth in the way of Allah and they served Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? You know youngsters. 
when you when you're young you have a lot of energy hey, do you want to do this you want to do that you want to go here you want to go there now imagine you take that energy and you spend it in the path of Allah you're in the masjid five times a day you're reciting Quran you're studying the deen of Allah you learn in Arabic, you memorize in the Quran, you memorize in Hadith. Imagine that. Right? Ask people that have reached a certain age, right? And I don't know why, but this is the norm of society. When someone reaches a certain age, maybe over 40, over 50, then what happens now? Now I want to start giving my time to Allah's deen. Now I want to start going to the masjid. Illa mashallah. Right? Now I want to start going to the masjid. Now I want to start attending classes. Right? Look generally in the Western Cape. If you look at classes that takes place in the masjid, who do you find? The elderly. The elderly. Mm. Right? So where's the youth? And why is it that we can't give our energy to the sake of Allah, to the deen of Allah? Right? Allah needs strong people. This deen of Islam, it needs strong. Needs warriors. Right? I'm not talking about jihad. Jihad is one thing. Right? Ramadan is coming. Right? Those that made 20 rakats, those that made 8 rakats. Right? But to stand and to listen to a Jews, you need kuwa. To wake up for tahajjud, you need strength. Am I right or wrong? Right? If you feel ill, are you going to wake up for Tajun? You're not going to wake up. So you need kuwa, you need strength. And this is why Allah feels the Prophet ﷺ, he wanted the youth, the shabab. And then, afwan. <coughs> right? Also, we find that they believed in Allah alone with no partner or no associate, unlike their people. So here this verse also teaches us that the people were people that believed in other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shaykh Uthaymin rahimahullahu ta'ala, he says that the speech of Allah guarantees us four things. Oh, subhanallah. That it guarantees us four things. Number one, it guarantees us knowledge. Number two, it guarantees us truthfulness. Number three, it guarantees us eloquence. Right? Bring me any book that is better and more eloquent than the Quran. So maybe we won't understand because our level of Arabic is a bit low. But speak to or look at those Arabs. They were poets. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings a whole chapter in the Quran. Shu'ara, the chapter of poets. Because they thought that they could challenge the Quran. But the fasaha and the balagha of the Qur'an, they would never ever meet. Allah says, bring one surah. Bring one surah like this and you won't be able to bring it. Right? And this word, nahnu, does not mean that there is more than one Allah. Right? So you find that some of the kuffar, you find that some people, when they come preach to you, the evangelists, etc., what do they tell you? That you say God is one. You say Allah is one. But in the Quran it says we. <laughs> right? So yani this is like a royal pronoun. 
sometimes the president, sometimes the king of the country, what do they say? That we, he refers to us as we, but he's speaking about him, self. So there's no example like to Allah Azza wa Jal, but just to give us an understanding. Right? And we increase them in guidance. So if we believe in Allah and obey him and his messenger, peace be upon him, Allah will increase us in guidance. وَالَّذِينَ اهْتَدَوْ زَادَهُمْ هُدَى وَآتَاهُمْ تَقْوَاهُمْ While as for those who accept guidance, he increases their guidance and bestows on them piety. So inshallah we're going to stop ahead, plan to do two more verses, but time is catching up with us. So we'll stop at verse 14, بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى And next week we will carry on with the other verses so what we also find in the surah and this generally goes with tafsir that certain verses takes more time to explain and other verses is straightforward with not a lot of explanation so inshallah we make up time when we reach those verses subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik ashadu wa la ilaha illa astawfiruka wa atubu ilayk is there any questions <coughs>